This is a Big MX Podcast, brought to you by X-Brand Novels, presented by Westside Honda and 204 Skate Shop. Motocross news from around the globe, but mostly between Emerson and Brandon. We're not experts over here, but we've got microphones. Check us out on the web at BigMXRadio.com. Welcome to the Big MX Podcast, brought to you by X-Brand Goggles, Tech One Designs, 204 Skate Shop, Westside Honda, Capital Motorsports, and TransCanada Motorsports. I am your host, Brad Gebhardt. With me on the line is my co-host, Chris Mellon. How's it going, Chris? Pretty fantastic, just sitting here on a beautiful Sunday night. Just a couple of moto nerds uh, looking to, to wrap up uh, the review of the Supercross this last weekend down in Houston. Track looked good. Uh, the, the weather up in Canada looks even better. Lots of melting snow all around as I just about spill the beer off of the ironing board that I've converted into a desk. And, uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's break it down. Starting off with the track, what'd you think? It looked pretty solid. A little bit different than the typical tracks this year, which I like to see. Seems like they've kind of had that in mind where they don't just put the cookie cutter stuff out there with, um, you know, the switch up lane. And um, it, it looked almost like um, Mad Skills on X track or an Excite Bike track where it's just rhythms and rhythms and rhythms, which is pretty cool. And sometimes it'll give guys options today or, you know, yesterday it did pretty much just in the sense of that quad, but kind of kept everyone tight. I liked the track personally, and it looked like it didn't really blow out. Everyone was still, like the quad was still doable on the 20th lap of the 450 main, so you got to give it up to the Dirtworks crew for that. Absolutely, yeah. No, uh, the soil at the track, it's it's been good in the past. Not the greatest dirt, but definitely not the worst. Um, it was soft on the top, very loose. Uh, almost looked like there was a ton of traction out there, but from the traction and some of the, the, the weird crashes that we saw, I'm thinking that the, that the base was pretty hard and slippery. Yeah, definitely, and obviously because it didn't lead to huge wrecks. But yeah, it looked like uh, especially Villa Polo's bike was skating around pretty good through the whoops, especially. I don't know if it was just set up super stiff or, you know, it, it was really slippery like that. But yeah, it looked like yeah. like some of the jumps, even double-double sections, like they looked, they weren't big, they looked doable, but I think it led to just perfect timing and the guys who are really more technical and, I mean, other than the quad, Everyone was pretty much doing the same rhythms everywhere, and it just kind of kept it tight. I think as the year goes on, we do get more challenging tracks, more tracks that that, uh, really bring all of the elements together, whereas... Early in the year, you have a fairly like cookie cutter, as we say, uh, rhythm section. You have your two triples, a whoop pad, and a finish line. So uh, this year, like or this year at Houston, you have two different split lines where you have the dragon's back leaning up into uh, doubling over the table, and then quad, which I like on just actually seeing when Villapoto did it beside Tomac, who was leading in the se- the second semi. Um, absolutely. There was a huge difference. It was, it was at least, at least half a second, if not more, just, just in making that. And it also sets you up better for that corner. Well, and you're coming into that corner so much faster that if you keep that momentum going around, you're going to come out of that corner a lot faster. Right. And which translates into more speed over the whoops as well. Which translates to hookers on the podium. True. That's absolutely true. But we uh we try and uh speak respectfully of the young Miss Dahlgren. Oh no, yeah, she's used. She wouldn't be first or second pick. 
No, not even a not even a first round draft pick. She but, was uh, the podium it, herself, but uh, just barely. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, like um, this is actually one thing we haven't seen in quite some time. I guess like Toronto, there was a couple of jumps that the two fifties weren't doing, but. Typically, if there's only one one single jump that um, the uh, the 450s are doing, there's at least one 250 guy who can figure out how to nut up and, and just go out and try this thing. Not a single 450 or 250 uh, attempting that uh, that quad, and that's interesting to me. Well, I think if Wilson, because he would have been the guy pretty much if you looked at them. Anderson's amazing, but he's not known to be that guy to pull something out like that. He's more he'll pound 20 laps the same speed really fast and do it dialed. But whereas, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, it's funny because I was thinking about that too last night. If Tomac was on a 250 when Villapoto was chasing him around, say last year, I wonder if he would have did it. Because like last year, he would have been the guy in the 250 class to pull that off, you know? And I think it's kind of, I don't know what it is, but him and Wilson in the past seem to be the guys on the 250s to just pull it out and do all those crazy jumps that the 450s are doing. But I thought it was kind of weird that Wilson didn't go for it on the 250 and Tomac wasn't going for it on the 450. I just think, uh, much like some of the jumps that some of the 450s weren't doing in weeks past, it became one of those jumps that if you can't do it 20 laps in a row, or in the 250s case, 15 laps in a row, um, and, and with uh, Wilson's position in the championship, he feels more than confident to just uh, let that be. And we'll get into the 250 main a little bit more, but I think for him, uh, he wants to make a statement leaving the 250 class, but uh, with some wins, but uh, not at the uh, the expense of his um, of his health. Oh, for sure, and I bet the consequences would have been high. There was some pretty been some pretty amazing crashes lately, but if somebody clipped that or cased it, it wouldn't have been good. And speaking no. of that, uh, did you see the video of Wyndham's unfortunate transfer? I did, and I, I'm not entirely sure if he ended up doing a transfer in the like the evening. Like he was on the Supercross live, and he's saying, "Maybe I will, maybe I won't. I feel pretty good." And then I hear him on a different uh, a different show saying that he like, "Oh, like this was about an hour beforehand." He says he's feeling a hundred percent. So only the people who are there know whether or not he busted that out or maybe a different transfer, but a scary moment for uh, the guy who uh, he's retired and yet still trying probably the most uh, death-defying of the uh, of the obstacles that technically isn't on the track. Oh, for sure, and I think he's maybe starting to realize that even with the God-given talents of Kevin Windham, maybe he still has to do a little bit of practice during the week to keep sharp. Because I think he said he came up 112 feet on a 115 foot transfer or something. And yeah, 115 foot transfer on a 450, like that thing's third gear wide open, and you come three feet short, so you go from being going about 60 miles an hour to zero. No, uh, no 30 something should be doing that, especially one that's not stretching every morning and hitting the nope. gym. I'm sure. Nope. But uh, let's dive straight into the 250s. And uh, first guy I want to talk about is uh, your event winner, uh, Mr. Anderson. Uh, absolutely flying. The guy's clearly been doing quite a bit of riding. He didn't race at all in the two, in the um, during the break. He didn't grab onto a 350 or even a 450 uh, and, and do some motoing. But uh, word is he's been doing quite a bit of outdoor testing. He did two weeks of Supercross as well. And... Uh, 
The kid's absolutely killing it. The, the corner speed was up. He's riding with a ton of confidence, and I think that you're going to see more of this going forward. That's what I noticed, too, is his corner speed is almost Villapoto-like, where he's very much kind of so. drifting the ass end in and carrying the speed that way, which on a 250 is going to help, obviously, where you know you don't have the instant acceleration of the 450s. But exactly, he's just so consistent, and I don't know anyone who like anything bad to say about the guy. I think Emig kind of had a dial there where he said, this is a past horizon winner who dominated on amateurs, is used to winning, and moved up, didn't really, you know, train, obviously. And he said that in a couple interviews this year where he, he training was just riding his dirt bike. But I think now if he does have a solid training program and he's still putting in lots of riding, he's obviously, he looks unstoppable in the West Coast. But I'm really interested in seeing what happens when we get outdoors because he hasn't been known to uh, do great in the past. And that's the real test of endurance and a solid, solid fitness base because, you know, you're going to see at the last couple laps of the outdoor motos if he really has what's it like, uh, what it takes to be a champion outdoors as well. Well, that's, I think, why he's switched his focus from doing his supercross training like obviously if you're contending for a supercross championship you want that to be a good portion of your focus going forward but uh making a commitment to doing some serious outdoor testing and he says he's been riding the 45 minute motos or tank fulls or whatever you need to do to get that endurance up uh it's, it's good to see that he's making that commitment to excellence on the outdoors and i think that uh the corner speed that he acquired on during those outdoor sessions has translated over the 250s and i think you're right he does control the back the bike a lot from the back end and uh on the 250 allowing that top that power to hit the ground and uh and launch out of those corners the kid's absolutely killing it for sure and i do think that people might be putting more of his kit for like 450 weight like everyone's looking who they're going to sign coming up here. Wilson's been riding the 450. Healy's been doing good on the 450. Anderson pretty much, you know, hasn't shown what he can do on a 450 in a race situation. So still, I think being this solid in the 250s has got to kind of, you know, put something in that basket. And But I'm really, really curious to see what will happen. But being a bigger guy, I think he will be able to make that jump quite easily. Not saying... I mean, Stroop kind of went a different way, but I was always, like, he, he's a little guy. I always kind of wondered what's going to happen on a 450, being a bit of a natural rider, but you do need that muscle to uh, handle those 450s in some sketchy situations. Absolutely. He makes that little bike, the the 250, look small. Like, honestly, I'm like, I know that the seat height's identical for those out there that, that argue that they're the same size bike, but he makes the 250 look like a very small machine underneath him and uh he just he, he can throw it around which is not obviously an advantage for him but i think on the 450 where maybe a, a guy like a smaller guy like when you see villapoto have a hard time picking his bike up he's jason anderson has got to be if not 511 got scratching the six foot six foot one mark so he's got that leverage he's got those long legs that help you in the mud races and stuff like that and uh, I think that the 450 is going to be a great switch for him I think it's going to be a good transition and uh, moving into next year I can definitely see him uh, riding the the 450 for the same team if he's not if his contract's not up but uh, if his contract is up I think he's either re-up with them or he ends up on the BTO team well, I think uh, 
I was thinking about that too. Could KTM further contract because they do make the 350? They're going to need someone out there on the 350. I mm-hmm. think he would be a great fit for that, being that so similar. Coming to off of the little bike? Exactly. And I think the 350 might be like, hey, and he might be able to use that as bargaining power in a contract to be like, look, I know you need a guy, and that's not really a spot that anyone's going for. It's always kind of like, the bottom end run guy gets the 350, unfortunately. So That's if you maybe rode those and if he was good on it, um, that might be a good step. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I think that uh, he'll benefit from from the from that option, especially being on the KTM's and actually liking the KTM's. Like uh, some guys don't really like the feel, but even back from when he turned pro back in 2000, and I believe it was nine, he rode those 2008 KTM's that we've touched on on previous podcasts. Not notorious for being an amazing machine, but finding some success on it. Obviously, an amateur superstar, Horizon Award winner. Uh, in fact, that's something that I didn't know. Uh, kudos to Jeff Emig for asking Jason Wygant uh, some questions about Jason Anderson. And uh, I think that um, he's, that's a guy to look forward to in the future as uh, he's gotten faster every single year, year after year after year. Uh, he's, he's definitely pushing it. But... Uh, Moving on just, to just, uh, your no, second just, just place. One, one more thing about that. Um, just everyone who's, when you've been at the top of the class type of thing and when you're used to winning on the smaller bikes, like when, when there comes a time when that bike literally just becomes a bitch and it's never going to scare you. It's never going to, you know, put you in a weird situation where you can literally just manhandle it around no matter what. And I mean, I got that feeling in the 80s and even the 125s once you get on those, like, you know, smaller horsepower bikes. Once that bike is your absolute bitch, then that's the perfect time to hop up to the next one. And, you know, some guys who don't fully, fully have the 250 dialed and hop up to the 450, I, I think they're going to have more problems. But seeing Anderson kind of just strictly putting his time on the 250 and, you know, making that bike his bitch, I think that, that is a good idea, too. Now, moving on to the second place rider, guys, we just uh, devoted about a six-minute conversation to uh, Jason Anderson. Uh, Dean Wilson, uh, I th- honestly, I think that if he wasn't dealing with some serious symptoms of arm pump, that he would be your Houston uh, main event winner. He ran out of time, and uh, I'd, I'd venture to guess that his forearms were rock solid uh, when the, fla- the checkered flag flew. Um, he's... Like, he started out, I believe he was as far back as 10th off the start, uh, at least on the completion of lap one, gets into second place, uh, and just couldn't make it happen. Uh, I think, like, he was obviously in quite a bit of pain afterwards, uh, and even said so when talking to uh, uh, Jenny Taft after the race. And, yeah, he uh, arm pump. That's all I have to say about that one. Well, if you see him, he needed his mechanic to take his helmet off for him. I don't know if that was shoulder or arm pump or both, but I mean... Yeah, that, that I'm not too sure about. No, but it's one thing being gassed or arm pump where you're like, dude, can you like throw my bike on my stand? I can't feel my fingers. Or, mm-hmm. But like to undo your helmet, that must be That's crippling. Bad. Yeah, That's and absolutely crippling. On live TV to do that, you know, I'm, I'm sure you're going to get bugged about that. No doubt. Um, yeah, again... I think that he was riding good. He has the speed, but he has to figure out this health issue. And if you think back to past lights champions or 250 champions, sometimes there's just this one little weird thing. Like even Purcell, nobody really knew his up. Like he did have a major injury over, but there's always kind of one thing holding him back where they're not sure of his health. And 
I hope that's not the case with Dino because he is such an amazing rider. But I think he might be just overtraining. Like somebody said one time, I forget who, but there's just some riders who aren't supposed to be on that crazy training regimen. And being with Rhino, I'm sure it's quite intense. Maybe he should just spend more time chilling out and rely on his natural ability. Keep his cardio up, you know, obviously, but maybe not do so much hectic weight stuff that a small frame guy like that just can't handle, you know? Yeah, no, it's hard to tell. Like, honestly, I, I don't have all the answers. Clearly, like, um, yeah, I've, well. I've, I, I, we've seen the guy race, and, and apparently he's he's had bouts of arm pump in the past, but clearly nothing as bad as this. this is like, this is super cross. This is supposed to be, like, it's still demanding, but this is child's play compared to outdoors. And if this is what he's dealing with during 15-lap main events in on a 250F, uh, yeah. that's a huge red flag. For, 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 like any 450 teams that are looking at him. I think honestly, that's a thing that, um, has kind of, uh, soured, uh, Chad Reed's interest in him is that he, he was, uh, he was looking at him quite seriously on the, t- with the 2-2 bike. And I, like from a few sources, I don't think that there's much happening there anymore. As far as the outdoor ride, like, like, w- will he be able to go the full length of a moto? Clearly can't do it even in Supercross right now. Uh, and as far as the, the training goes, like, I really, I, I think that, uh, especially at this point in his Supercross season, about a month before he goes outdoors, I think he should switch, switch the, the focus from indoors to out and, and focus on rest rather than, uh, the, the hardcore training to getting ready for outdoors. I think that he would benefit from a couple of weeks of taking it easy a little bit, dialing the bike, Doing some some technique work and stuff like that on the on the bike, but as far as uh, heavy weights or uh, anything like that, I would definitely nix that whole program and go straight into quite a bit of uh, just work on functioning on the bike and uh, and getting your body rested because he just uh, it's it's evidence of being just worn out right now. I think load up the bike, head up to the hills, hit some ramps with some buddies, or go play for a couple weeks. You're not going to lose your fitness base. You're going to let everything kind of chill out. You're going to have fun, and I think you'll, uh, you'd see it in those results when you came back. I, I, I absolutely agree with that. And uh, uh, only time will tell if he'll be able to perform outdoors, but uh, for Supercross, if he's, he's already getting arm pump like the way he has, I think that's a, a major red flag. And... Um, numerous changes to his program need to go on because apparently, well, I know this for a fact, when he won his outdoor title, he had no trainer. No, exactly. And he was probably just chilling, riding his dirt bike and making it look easy and still having gas and tank on the last lap. So it, it, it kind of sucked, um, you know, going to Sealy in that 250 main. He really didn't impress me. Like, if you want to be lame and say that he didn't ride like a champion, I think that's pretty much what he didn't do. Like, kind of riding around and getting fourth place. If he really wanted that and really wanted to go for it, I'm sure if he stuck a wheel into uh, Stewart, like Malcolm Stewart, he wouldn't have put up much of a fight. Being with his teammate, he's in second and point, he'd be like, hey, buddy, if you got it, go. But he really just kind of rode around back there and didn't really, you know, put on a solid charge. I mean, obviously, if you got it, you do it. You know, if you don't, you don't. But... I really think that that ride clinched it for Anderson, even mentally for him, being like, yo, he got fourth, I'm good, I got this guy. Yeah, and like, touching on Mookie, uh, Malcolm Stewart, uh, I guess is going all the way back to 
the uh, San Diego round, but that's two straight podiums for Malcolm Stewart, uh, yeah, kind of establishing himself as a, a bit of a uh, uh, a little bit more dominant player on the West Coast, kind of a little bit late to the party. But he looked aggressive. He he looked uh, on point uh, for the majority of the night show. Anyway, uh, he had some some practice crashes that uh, he ironed out of his system, and the guy had a great night. Um, yeah. looked well, fast, was aggressive. I just don't think he's faster than Dean or Anderson. I think like there's the simple fact that he's not faster than those two, but a solid third. For sure. But if you look at him, he seems to be getting faster and having a riding partner such as James Stewart as your brother. And yeah, they're, they're, quite, disposal, they're quite fond of each other. Yeah. It's not going to hurt. I, I can't wait to see that guy in a 450 because he's way too big for that bike. Obviously Suzuki struggling to, to do some some of the technical stuff. He has to work a lot harder. So once bar is not an issue, I think you're going to see. I wouldn't doubt seeing him even hit a podium on a really good ride. Maybe not next year in 450s, but the year after. You know, he does have the skills. Well, for outdoors, do you think that um, the uh, do you think Troy Lee Designs put him on puts him on the 450 for outdoors, or do you think he rides the 250? I think they'd be smart to put him on the 450 because why not double your TV time chances because you already got the right. 250 class, a bunch of guys out there. So throw him out there. He gets good starts. He's probably not going to say no if you ask him. It's, you know, I'm sure he'd love it. And, oh, he's champing at the bit, I'm sure. Well, and he dropped a podium last year. I think there's a, it's going to be even the power to weight ratio that we're talking about right now in Supercross is going to be multiplied outdoors, especially pulling up hills with some kids that are 120 pounds, I'm sure he's just going to be biting his tongue and, you know, swearing under his breath. But, yeah, no fun that way. And riding with his brother, I'm sure he's always riding with a 450 at home. You're not going to get on a little bike and try to chase down one of the best people of all time who happens to be his brother. But, um, no, I would love to see him on a 450, see what he can do, and why not? If you're going to be racing a next in Supercross, make a splash, and who knows what can happen. All right. So uh, your other title contender, uh, who's uh, lost a few points this last weekend, a second straight fourth place finish for Cole Seeley, uh, had some success, uh, even a podium on the, the 450 on the East Coast, comes back to the West after, uh, I believe, a couple of years ago, he came back and, or maybe it was even last year, came back after riding on the, uh, the East Coast uh, and then uh, killed it at the first round back at the East, but this year uh, goes out and gets a fourth, but uh, with only one uh, one wheel getting adequate braking, he's got no rear brake coming out of the oh, yeah. second straightaway. So uh, the guy's, uh, like, I guess uh, the brakes faded throughout the the, or the, the main event because uh, he said he was having some, uh, it slowly went away and all of a sudden wasn't there at all. Uh, no brake fluid for the 21 machine. And uh, I think that's what really contributed to his night. I think he could have possibly gotten up there and fought with, with Mookie and Dean. I'd say as far as damage control goes, a good night for uh, Mr. Seeley. Yeah, I guess I didn't think about that. I kind of sound like a douche now. Um, yeah, he got lucky with Buddy who smoked, ran into the back end of his bike off the start. And yeah, no rear brakes, especially on a technical track like that would be a Scott champion. So, yeah, so I'm a douche and he's awesome still. Absolutely. No, the kid killed it. Uh, fourth place, um, excellent damage control from Cole Seely. And, uh, moving on to a guy that, uh, rounds out your top five in, uh, Zach Osborne. 
Good ride from Zach. I think he's still not, uh, he's not 100% after his injury. Uh, coming back after, what was it, six weeks or seven weeks, he, uh, he had himself a good night, but, uh, coming off of injury and still not quite living up to the expectations that he was going to be a podium contender week after week after week. Um, a solid fifth place. For sure. You really didn't see much of him doing the main on TV a little bit. No, he was quiet week. night. But I, I definitely thought that he was riding a little stiff. Maybe he felt some pressure on him being on that ride that he wanted for so long. He finally got it. But I really don't see much of his Zach Osborne's future, unfortunately, unless he pulls something off in the outdoors. And mm-hmm. I think he has what it takes to do that. He is one of the few guys that you might say has both supercross and motocross in him. And I'm really looking forward to see if he can put that bike at the front and the outdoors and make a splash, which is probably what he's thinking too. Because Supercross even, you know, he didn't really do what he wanted to do. I'm sure if he wanted to be possibly leading the points at this point. So he might be kind of passing in and just throwing all his coins into the outdoor series. Yeah, I think like Zach Osborne is a better outdoor rider. That's why he shone so brightly in the uh, GP series. I think he's definitely, if you were to categorize him, he's an outdoor guy. That's where he's going to be at his strongest. I still feel like he was going to be stronger, I guess, this year than he was, I think, was it not... Was he on the Geico bike last year or the year before? It was year, two years ago. He was on a Yamaha, like your... Uh, it clearly wasn't a stock machine, but the thing was, uh, definitely not a full works, uh, Yamaha or a factory Yamaha. And he was still, I think, believe he, he grabbed a podium. And I think, which is something he's done this year, but not nearly as dominant. And I feel like he was going to try and make that next step. And he never did. Um, another guy who seems to be, uh, trying to make that next step, but, um, just, I think more or less maybe expecting a little bit too much of himself is Cooper Webb. When I see Cooper Webb ride, I feel like he's I kind of almost trying too hard at times. I think he's trying to push his own ability. And um, seeing Adam Cincirolo, someone that he rode with quite or rode against quite a bit and was a rival with in the amateur ranks, uh, he feels pressure to to rattle off some wins, and uh, that's why he finds himself in sixth place rather than on a podium. I think that might have a little bit to do with just his riding style. He has a more aggressive riding style, I think, you know, picks more outside lines, pins a little more than with AC is more smooth and technical. Uh, that might be a little bit of that, but he is up against a bunch of seasoned vets. You know, I'm, I'm sure, like you're saying, he's he wants to be up at the front, but give him some time. I think next year might be Cooper Webb's year, but this year, putting your time, racing against these guys, feel like one of them, and then really next year come around. Because I think thinking that Cooper Webb was going to make a huge splash this year might have been a little uh, early, you know. But put some laps in, get some time up there, learn something from these guys. And I think next year, and I guess just like we're seeing with AC, might be their year. And that would be an interesting battle if uh, they both hopped in the same coast and battled like they did back in the amateur days. That's literally what I was thinking of when I was writing down the notes for this, is that like next year... I think is going to be Webb's year to really rattle off a championship. But what if AC's in there with him? Like he goes east this year, maybe he goes west for next year, and the two of them are head to head. I think the two of them would, like, if honestly, if they're both in the same coast, 
there's an equal pot chance ability that they neither of them win the championship and just take each other out nonstop because they're gonna fight for that thing tooth and nail. And uh I think I only only time will tell whether or not they'll end up on the same coast together, but I think some serious sparks will fly if they do. Oh, definitely. We might have a little Bradshaw chicken or even like kind of McGrath and egg situation going where, oh, yeah. you know, and I think that would be great to see because there isn't really those battles in the lights class and these guys been doing it their whole life that way. Yeah, no, they have uh, not like even their the fans of them can't agree on anything. Uh, so, uh, oh, like that would be uh, a bench racer's dream to uh, to see that battle go down. Um, Shane McElrath, rookie season in Supercross, he pulls down a top five, a top ten position. Uh, quiet night for him. Barely barely noticed him out there. Josh Hill, great qualifier. He's got speed. I think he had one mistake, which robbed him of a, a top three position. Uh, he ends up... Justin he, uh, Hill. Justin Hill. Wow. Thanks, Irv. Uh, no, I'm just saying, I, I didn't know if you're hopping 450s. Right. Sorry. My bad. Yeah. Justin Hill, a top five position. Uh, he put the oops and whoops as he uh, put the bike mm-hmm. on the ground and uh, just um, couldn't couldn't quite keep it together. So, well, um, with, with, with Webb there, I think Webb wasn't back in town and he totally jumped right into him. They looked at him that super slow-mo, and like Hemig said, this will fully tell the story. And he didn't care. Like, Webb jumped right into him, and he leaned in, but someone was losing that battle, and it turned out to be Hill, unfortunately. But he has the speed, and I think he has the confidence now that he is one of those guys. He's someone who I hope has the uh, the fitness and to keep it going till the end of the motor in the outdoors. Oh, yeah, for sure. And you know what? When I see him ride, I literally see a young Josh Hill. Like, the guy has skill. He has the, like, control of the bike. He's got a fun style to watch, very much like a Christian Craig, uh, who's uh, regrettably not racing anymore. But he's just got tons, tons of skill on the bike, fun to watch. And uh, I think uh, going into 2015, he's going to be one of those guys that with a couple, an extra year under his belt, he's got AC with him. I don't know what uh, coast he'll be on, but he's still definitely be a threat for 2015 as well. Yeah, and looking at his like potential next year's competitors, Nelson sure hit the wall last night. Um, whole shot to who knows what he finished, but it wasn't anything good. Um, maybe that was an issue. You know, who knows? But. It's still, I don't think that some of these other rookies, well, I don't consider Hill a rookie really, but, you know, some of these younger guys aren't making the splash that the teams obviously hope that they were. And, you know, I think he's definitely outclassed the rest of them. He's up there with the Wilsons and the Andersons and the Seedleys of the world now. Nelson was actually in reverse. He qualified eight, starts fifth, and ends up tenth on the night. Not a great night for uh, the number 50. No, definitely not. But uh, someone who actually moved up quite a bit, 19th all the way up to 12th, is Dakota Tedder. Uh, didn't start out the year great. He did make the main in uh, Anaheim. But uh, the kid is six foot five on a KX250F. Like, there's no bike, even on a 450, that's going to be technically a, a great fit for him. But the guy is absolutely on, I, in my opinion, the wrong machine. I know he's got to get get like cut his teeth in the 250s, but I see him on a, a 
450 in 2015 with a whole lot more success, but a great a great twelfth place for Dakota Tedder. Yeah, he has been kind of he's been doing it for a bit. I know his family's behind him; they make kind of a big deal about it. You know, put on a big scene, which is good. I'm not sounding bad, but that's team, the way to do team it. Tedder, bro. Team Tedder, bro, and having that height does help in Supercross, I think, to a point in whoop speed and, you know, kind of more control in the corners. If he can get some confidence, he just, like we say all the time, he might be able to kind of step up in the world a bit. And next year, maybe he'll be in that kind of 5 to 10 range consistently. And, you know, maybe he'll get himself a better ride and probably won't have to pay for everything. All right, 250s are done. Let's switch to 450s right after these commercials. So, do you like stuff? Or possibly things? How about a huge selection of motocross and street bike gear from apparel brands like Troy Designs, Alias, Icon, and Power Bands, every single color you can think of? How about 25 years of custom suspension and motor service for a full service shop, all of which you can find at Capital Motorsports? Mention this Big MX podcast to receive a VP gas can with Spout for only $40, as well as 100% off your next set of motocross tires. Just kidding, we can't back that up, but ask for about it anyway. Check out Capital Motorsports at 157 St. Anne's Road, Winnipeg, Manitoba, or call them not-so-toll-free at 204-237-6686. If it was baseball, his rookie card would be worth a small fortune. If it was football, every kid would be wearing his jersey. But Jeremy McGrath had other plans. To take a motorcycle and to show the world how far your dreams can take you. Make your way down to Westside Honda Polaris and check out the brand new Honda Grom. Honda's revolutionary 125cc fuel-injected mini-moto ultimate weapon. A must-see for all motocross enthusiasts. From the Grom to the usual suspects like the CBR600RR, CRF450R, Westside Honda Polaris of Suffolk, Manitoba has you covered. Check them out on the web at westsidehonda.ca. Call toll-free at one 888 Boom. Alright guys, a little bit of fan interaction for you. Thanks for listening to our commercials. They're very important to keep this show going. Um, just to get a good sense of who's listening and uh, get a little bit of fan interaction, I'd love for as many people as possible to email me, bradgebhart88 at gmail.com. Email me the word Houston Supercross, and uh, you'll be entered to win a 204 Skate Shop FlexFit hat. Good luck to all who enter. You know, uh, let's uh, let's switch gears and uh, add about 200 and 200 cc and move on to the 450s. And uh, I want to start off. Uh, I think maybe 
second gear, three-quarter throttle, kind of arcing off the face of Grunthal, like a little bit off to the left, and then drifting to the right on the landing. And second? Yeah, second on a on a two. Well, on the on the four fifty, yeah, it's second gear. Fine. I don't um, know. Would you? Would you? Would you? Like you're gonna do the the corner in second? Would you shift up to third, or maybe you'd roll the corner in third and kind of just, yeah. Keep your think? speed, bro. Keep your momentum going. Uh, I guess. Okay, third gear, three quarter throttle, if that. Ryan Villapoto, RV. He's got the big number one on his bike for a reason, and uh, which gives him a ton of confidence. And we we saw demonstrations of that a couple of different times during the evening. Uh, the first being during his heat race when uh, the kid goes down. Uh, he he makes the pass, hits the ground uh, with Josh Hill right behind him, and uh, takes the time to collect his thoughts, get back on the motorcycle for one, but. Um, I, I, like some people would say that it was kind of a, not a great thing to see him not in a huge rush to get back onto the motorcycle, but that just shows me uh, a man who, uh, truly knows not to panic all is well. I'll go to the semi, I'll win the semi, and I'm going to be put into a great position to just absolutely destroy this, uh, main event. Well, for Um, sure, but I I think he, he might've hit his head pretty good because the way that he hit the ground, he like he didn't have his arms out in front of him. It kind of just swapped out. He smacked the ground, which you know either wind knocked out of you or whatever you know. So maybe he didn't have a choice. He kind of had to take it slow for a bit. And exactly why push everything he got potentially crash again to maybe not even qualify. Roll around, learn the track. Don't do what you just did again. And like you said, go to the semi and and win that. And you know potential qualifying position or gate pick, I mean, doesn't really change if he gets up and rushes in the heat or if he uh, wins the semi. No, like, uh, didn't end up mattering at all because he ended up taking uh, Michael Lessie's usual spot right beside the box, grabs a hole shot, and see you later. Uh, he, I think he reestablished his dominance. He made a statement that, yeah, like, Stu can rip off three straight, but I'm still the man. If I get a hole shot and I want to win on a night, I can put the boots to you guys, and I think that's what he uh, he proved. Definitely did shut him up in the main event. Just pull, well, one, if Villa pulled a whole shot, I don't think anyone's really pumped on that who's behind him. Like, you know, it's like, ah, shit, here we go. See you later. But in, in his heat with that crash there, Hill was riding really good. And he kind of puts his wheel in, took a little poke at him. And then at the next corner, I think that he could have been in his head where Villa Poto would have been like, shit, is Hill coming up the inside? and maybe just kind of leaned into the corner a little earlier to maybe tighten up his line, and that led to him swapping out and crashing. So I think that was a good move on Hill. Like, when he did it, I was like, oh, you little prick, like, you're going to pass him, right? But I think it did maybe potentially get into his head and lead to the mistake, which led to Hill winning the heat, which was awesome. I mean, I like I love to see fan. it. And uh, I didn't know he had so many injuries this year. Like, we all knew about the collarbone, the broken ribs, and this and that. I think if he gets injury-free, which has kind of been his whole life statement, I, I can't wait to see what he could do in a Supercross series. But you think rides like this, like that's obviously what keeps him on a bike of this caliber. Absolutely, yeah. It's one of my notes down here. I got Josh Hill is literally one of the most gifted and talented riders in the field. He's got the type of speed and the type of precision to put 
a lap together that can be like, as you saw in practice, can go up there with the best of the best of the best. Uh, and, and when like the chips fall the way they, uh, the right way in a heat race or maybe one day in a main event, he can win one. The, it did so back in 2010 or no, oh nine. Uh, the, um, Minneapolis Supercross yeah. goes out, he goes out and wins that main event. A great ride from him on the, on a factory Yamaha now on a factory Suzuki. He's still able to harness that speed, and I think when he's got confidence and when he's right up there, he almost he kind of like a little bit of a switch in his brain that okay now I'm now I'm back to factory rider Josh Hill, uh, and um, with a clean bill of health, I think uh, there's very few people in this world that can go as fast and as stylish as Josh Hill as he absolutely uncorked a nasty whipper tail off of that triple um just uh, on lap one there of the uh, heat race. Well, and if you look at Hill, I'm starting to see more similarities to Josh Grant. You know, they have the speed, they have the skills, and they make a splash every now and again, and that's what keeps them on the drive. Yep. And, uh, bad uh, night for Josh Hill. Bad, or uh, Josh Grant. Bad night. And Juan, I got I got that here, too. It seems, it, it sucks, because it seems like whenever he comes off an injury type of thing, and he's riding really good, then that's when he crashes and hurts himself. And mm-hmm. it, I watched it the replay a bunch of times. Like when he crashed there, which was unfortunate situation, like Dungy jumps into Pike, who's, you know, not the person you want to jump into. He barely moves, mm-hmm. but he hits Grant, and Grant had no idea what was coming. You know, those are the yeah, worst. I think he got when, the worst of it, too. Exactly. When, like, out of nowhere, all of a sudden just gets swatted from behind and you're tumbling down the dirt. But I just hate to see where Josh Grant, he just gets up and he's kind of, like, running on all fours off the track. Like, we've seen it so many times with blown out knees, blown out this, and it happened again. And it's just like, oh, whenever that happens, it just sucks because it's usually when he's riding good in practice and qualifying, and then all of a sudden, there you go. Yeah, no, it's uh, not a good night for him or Pike. I feel bad for I feel bad for Pike because I know that that's going to rob him of some valuable championship points to put towards a serious like you do get quite a few bucks uh from like the I guess the like the series payout to be uh, a, a certain uh position uh for overall points and I think that's going to be a, it's going to be hurting his overall points for sure. I think he had the type of speed to be a top 10 guy. And um Move, moving into that a little bit, you have guys like Chris Blows with a 10th. Great ride from him. Nick Way, 11th. Nick Schmidt, 14th. And I don't want to take anything away from those guys, and that's going to sound kind of stupid when I tell you that there are nine riders from the main event in Anaheim who weren't in that main event last night. Nine. Like injuries? Yeah, injuries or, uh, I get like, uh, Matt Moss is back in Australia. But other than that, yes, nine injuries. Uh, you have Chad Reed, Justin Brayton, Brock Tickle, Will Hahn, Jake Weimer, um, Kyle Partridge, Matt Gerke, and, uh, Ivan Tedesco. Uh, those are eight riders that are hurt and unable to ride. And then you have Matt Moss, who's back in Australia. Uh, nine riders. Welcome to the sport of Supercross. There's never been a season where nobody's been hurt, and that's something. Oh, for sure. Keeping fit and off the injured list is a skill set that is looked at 
almost as importantly as your riding ability. And, you mm-hmm. know, there's always going to be people injured. You can't take anything away from anyone because if you look at it, like the top 11 guys in qualifying were within a second, you know, like these guys are all at that level. It's just that their name isn't as big pretty much. Oh, so, and Blos was up there. He was as high as fifth. For the entire last practice, he like he stayed there. His like other guys had a hard time beating his time, and the guy gets a, a tenth on a pretty much production. Well, it is a production, uh, two four fifty from Honda, and the kid's like absolutely killing it, looking great with the Fit Industries graphic kit on there. Um, like going with the the black and green motif for this last race, looking really hot. Uh, I think I don't know if I expect more of that from him for the rest of the year, but. If 10th place is your best finish in the series, you're doing something right, Chris Blos. Well, from a guy who got fourth when maybe the field was slimmed out at Vegas, uh, I don't think he would be pumped on a 10th. Well, it's, uh, a de- it's a definite improvement from uh, weeks where he wasn't making well, the main sure. or, or for, for uh, sure. I'm not pulling that, up the I, rear. I think Blos is one of those guys in that kind of mid-pack or whatever the hell you want to call it, that does have the mindset of more of the top guys because obviously uh, he got pissed off when NASA said that he can't win. And really, I'm sure there's not many guys he's battling with out there to finish 10th that really have the mindset that they're going to win. I'm sure Nick Way in 11th wasn't like shit. He wouldn't get pissed off if told him that he wasn't going to win this year. Yeah, no, I think think he's, he's still not pumped with where he's at because he was at one time a, uh, a factory rider, but again, that was 10 years ago. So, yeah, yeah. um, he might have a foggy, uh, foggy expect- expectation of where he's supposed to be, but, uh, nevertheless, a good ride from Nick Way as well. Uh, I'm just gonna jump back into the top three right quick with a solid yet very quiet day from, um, Justin Barsha. Um, had a little bit of a battle with his teammate in the heat race and followed that up with going straight to the main event, getting in second place, and then it was all hushed from there. Uh, he was stayed just ahead of uh, Ken Roxon, and I think that's where the track comes into play. All three riders doing the exact same rhythm, exact same speed everywhere pretty much, very similar anyway. They gap themselves out by about a second, and you know as a racer, as soon as you lose those breaking points of the guy going into corners ahead of you, when that's no longer there, you're not able to uh, make up any time, or unless unless you're just that much faster, you're not going to be able to push it and, and move into that next tier and, and move past that rider. So the three the, the top three guys spaced themselves out, stayed that way, including actually Trey Kennard as well, um, with a, a fourth place, all four riders starting in their positions that they finished. For sure. And I think I think Kennard coming back has had a very positive effect on Barsha's riding. And not in the way that you might think as a teammate to ride with because Everyone knows those two guys aren't best friends high-fiving each other every morning. Um, but I they're think, competitive with each other. For sure, which is good. And, yeah, I'm sure they don't hate each other either. But he has to, like, you see those two guys ride harder against each other than any other teammates, I think. And Barsha wants to be the guy, the head dude. So I think it was in the qualifier when he went and passed Kennard. And he's kind of like, sorry, dude, got to do it, see you later. And... I think that Kennard coming back is going to keep Barsha more on his game. And seeing that Kennard got fourth, Barsha got a second. And, you know, I, I think it's just good to see out there that Barsha's putting in good rides and that Kennard 
can come back and come in there swinging just like everyone would hope he would be. Like, like he's at riding like his skill set, like, like he should be. Definitely. And you know what? I, he's a lot more aggressive than I expected him coming in. But then again, if I look back to the rides that he's had after injury, it shouldn't be a surprise. The 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 book on Trey Kennard is that he will come out of nowhere, he'll come off of injury, and go right back to where he was. A little bit sketchy at times, to be honest, but uh, he he just absolutely pins it. He only has one setting, and that's to be a top five guy, and like benefiting from some good fortune last weekend in St. Louis. Now two top five finishes for Trey Kennard. Uh, he's giving him some serious confidence uh, as he finishes out the series. Oh, for sure, for sure. Uh, I think, too, going back to Grazron uh, Bulls, Jimmy D killed it, hopping on the yeah. 450, bouncing up from the 250s. And when we kind of did that lost podcast there, that yes. um, we won't talk about. Regrettably, sadly. regrettably, a conversation with uh, the Ripper that uh, only we uh, had the pleasure of being a part of, but we'll redo that one. You know what I was thinking? We'll all be able to go back on the video cameras in the shop. They have audio, so we can get a very, very terrible version of that. We're going to release that for uh, $25 per download and uh, and see if we can't uh, make, make some uh, some coin off of that because but I, I think, think that would be beneficial. But I think the only thing that would matter, the whole thing would be worth it just for you freaking out after it was lost. I've never seen you that mad. It was awesome. And you're freaking out, slamming on the counter, and I'm just laughing because it was kind of funny. Perfect. You know, I, I, uh, I do get upset here and there, especially when things go wrong with, uh, uh, technology because I can't yell at it enough for it to change the way it went. Um, but, uh, but it was, we're going to redo that Jimmy, one with was, Jimmy D. It was, it was good to see him hop on the 450 rather than the 250 and had a great qualifying, uh, running in second. But unfortunately, like we talked about on the last podcast, it seems like, He's always just out of the TV screen, and they barely ever talk about him. They were on Blows, uh, who was riding good moving through the pack, and I don't blame him. But for a 250 rider moving up, you think they should give him a little bit more credit and talk about him because, and a privateer as well. And he did give Topher Ingalls his bike, who, shitty situation, his bike got stolen the night before. So I think there's a lot of talking points they could bring in there. Um, and, you know, he was riding solid in second, ended up taking third in the semi and going straight to the mm-hmm. main event, where he did stick around that uh, 14, 15, 16 range for a lot of the race, which uh, one of us kind of chose. I forget which between me or you. I, th- I, I believe, actually, you know what? I, I flipped my phone open here, and I'm looking directly at a text message that uh, there was a prediction, a bold, mind you, a bold prediction of a 10th place from Jimmy D and not saying that he can't get it, but uh, just giving myself a, a well-to-do kudos for being able to predict um, his, his position as I believe I, I had him uh, in the, uh, the 14 to 17. No, no, no. Range, so. You said 17 to 19 and I said 14. I don't think so, Chris. I'm going to screenshot the shit out of that. Uh, you said ten, anyway, top 10 is doable. And I said seven, you're right. I said 17 to 19. So I was wrong and you were closer, 
But and I said you with said Price is Right rules, and I said I'm calling 14th, and I think did he get 15th? He did. But Price is Right rules go that you went over being uh, the better the better spot, so uh, I was closest without going over. No, I'm better. It's 15th. 14th is better. Okay, I was only off enough. by one. You were off by three. Three to five. So, yeah, I think nobody cares what our little fucking thing yeah, here. But I should have been taste of beer is uh, what I'm saying. Um, you should have, but you didn't. But, and but that's why James just, Stewart got sixth. That's true. Or fifth. But he I started out Dakota's, sixth and just didn't move forward. We'll get back to Jimmy Dakotas in a minute, but I want to talk about JS7. A guy yeah. who clearly, uh, I don't know whether it was a lack of motivation or he's now in sixth place. He sees that RV is gone. He just doesn't see himself being able to make up any points that day. So, or maybe he was still feeling some effects from his illness that kept him out of the third practice, but he just didn't move forward. He came across a stripe in the first lap behind, I believe it was Eli Tomac and he passed just Eli Tomac. And then he got fifth. Uh, that is something we have not seen from James Stewart. I don't know if it was a bike issue. I don't know if it was a purse, like a body issue, well, or it was I, a mental issue. But he just didn't move forward. But like you said, he was sick. That he missed the last practice. They talked about it in the in his heat race that he has had less track time than anyone. And if you remember after the race, he had to sit down. So that's not typical Stewart after Supercross. Um, and that track didn't look so technical or so draining that, you know, you'd be that gassed that you'd have to sit down after the race. That must have been a health issue. And I, I give these guys credit with even Stewart and Villapoto riding through sickness like they do. It's no fun when you feel sick and trying to push it. Like, you, you, you can't when you just don't feel good. So I, I agree that that's not typical Stewart style. And I think a lot of people had him in to kind of maybe win out the season possibly. But I think there's that fluid going around all the pro guys, and I think this weekend was his weekend with it. Yeah, no, like, uh, talk about guys who have had uh, issues with uh, stomach stuff or, or even any type of illness. You have RV from Toronto after St. Louis. Barsha had food poisoning. Uh, James Stewart. Like, these guys are in and out of, uh, I guess some of them fly uh, commercial, some of them fly, 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 fly private. But James Stewart now with some uh, some serious issues uh, with his stomach, having to miss a uh, a practice session, uh, and yeah, I guess it's like call it a bad night, call it damage control. But um, either way, puts himself in second place in points, and um, an okay night for Stewart if if that's if if he's dealing with some serious issues. It's it's tough to really gauge his night, not fully knowing exactly what was going on with him. For sure, but with RV, I think he definitely kind of, as we talked a little bit earlier, re-stamped his dominance on the series. Because he, like, he lapped Alessi and kind of made the pass stick like, yo, bitch, I just lapped you. And Alessi got eight. So that kind of yep. shows how consistent and how fast. Like, he dialed that quad off every single lap, no big deal. Screw everybody, I'm RV. And to lap up to eighth place is, um, I think, just that, shows the dominance that he has in his back pocket if he needs it. And being, you know, maybe sick, ride around, do whatever, and coming from that smart ride in the heat where he crashed, I'm sure he crashed a couple times in practice, but mm-hmm. to just be that dominant, that's got to just ruin your mind when unless he's going on to his best Supercross finish of the year, I think, ish, eight, and you just got lapped coming up to the last lap. 
Yeah, like I think that's that's more to do with RV's dominance than it is Alessi's uh, incompetence because the guy actually only lost one position in 20 laps, which I think has got to be some sort of a record for him. Uh, not benefiting from a great start, but also not moving backwards, which is not only shocking, but somewhat alarming that he would, uh, um, lose, only lose the one position. And it was actually to Ryan Dungey, of all people. Uh, Dungey, not known as a, a great passer, uh, ends up going down with that hole. He's kind of was the first domino in that Pike Grant, uh, Dungey fiasco he goes from 18th on the opening lap um and ends up uh finishing seventh so um if you if you said you can't do any passing on that track uh ryan denji not not a guy known to do a whole lot of passing certainly proved that it was a track that uh you could you could make some serious moves on well see in the dungeon i thought he looked great in that first heat where him Stewart, grant and who was it there was another guy in there um, but they battled it out, and Grant looked great. Dungey looked great. He looked aggressive and not weird like sometimes he looks when he tries to get aggressive. And I thought tonight would have been a great night for him, but, yeah, he bailed pretty hard in that first rhythm section. Alessi, yeah, only going back one spot, but does have to be a record for him. Just like a quick shout-out to all those privateers out there. Uh, yeah, like we said, Bloss, Way, Schmidt, Gilmore, and moving all the way back to 15th, the Ripa, Jimmy Dakotas, the guy, like, we we, we talked to him a bit, like, a couple of minutes ago, but I, I really want to throw it back to the kid who not only, like you said, uh, loaned his bike to Topher Ingles, but puts his 450 into the top 15 on the tail end of that, but still a great ride. And uh, from a guy who, at the beginning of the season, was not making mains, ends up seven positions ahead of even just uh, scratching the surface. So uh, a great ride from Jimmy D. For sure. And he was looking really solid out there. Being that he's not the tallest dude in the whoops, he looked really good being a big 450. I don't know. I don't know if something happened because he did. He was up a little higher and he did move back in there. But, yeah, solid ride moving into the 50, 450. That'll put some, you know, a little bit of gas running in the tank moving into the next couple of rounds, I'm sure. And just confidence and to keep his name in people's minds too for a ride for next year potentially that he's got to be in that kind of next group for people, you know, looking for a good solid dude. Yeah, and I think it speaks volumes that uh, he's been one of the 250 guys who, uh, well, like, let's call him a 250 guy because that's his main focus, but he's been one of the riders to race pretty much every single supercross so far he didn't go to anaheim one he, he joined the series for the second round but he's been there throughout the entire year and for some of the guys like uh you like ken roxton has mentioned that he's kind of like feeling like the series kind of dragging on this is a 250 guy who's taken it under upon himself to race every single supercross and is still going strong riding as high as 11th uh during the night show for sure, and when we talked about him on that last podcast, but I'm sure we'll get another one, mm-hmm. he uh, doesn't have a solid training program, sleep nope. program, work program. He drives for the races. He doesn't fly to all of them. And eating Chipotle. Exactly. Eating whatever you can when you're hungry. I think I was looking at his Twitter last night. Uh, his mechanic wasn't feeling too great, so he was driving all night. You know, that's name another guy who qualified and can run that speed who's 
down in height to Nas, which is the next test to how amazing Nas is, you know, at three in the morning and he's fine with that and just pumped to go ride his dirt bike and, you know, make a splash. Right. No, uh, he's, the kid's killing it. I think he's, uh, making a statement and I, I hope that he gets, uh, gets a look from, uh, one of those, uh, one of those teams that uh, can afford to bring somebody on, like maybe uh, maybe a rock star uh, racing can look at him or something like that. I don't know if Geico's going to take take another flyer, and I'm like, I'm not even too sure if if Mitch uh, has a space for him because I know uh, they've got uh, a youngster coming through the ranks who's probably going to be turning pro at uh, the first national. Uh, his name ex- escapes me for uh, the moment, but uh, nevertheless. Um, he like that team will probably be full for the most part, and uh, who knows? Only time will tell uh, where Jimmy D ends up, but uh, definitely a strong ride from him for sure. And but just just being out there and racing—that's where you gotta be if you want to make a splash and get noticed for sure. And uh, one guy actually coming from the arena cross ranks to finish 18th. Actually, well, you could call it 18th, or you could call it last because. Uh, the other guys didn't, uh, the 19th through 22nd didn't complete a full lap of the main event, but, um, Kyle Regal coming out of arena cross, uh, on his Honda and getting himself an 18th place position just behind Jimmy, Jimmy Albertson, uh, who's running the tech one designs pit shirts in the, uh, in the pits. Uh, I think, uh, a decent ride for a guy who hasn't raced a single supercross. For sure. And, well, Regal is a good rider. His name, like, he made a splash in the outdoors a couple of seasons back on his privateer Honda. And that's right. what I was thinking. He's, so he hopped under the crossline racing 10, 771 beside Albertson 77. And mm-hmm. I wonder if there is any support there. If he's just like, look, I got a Honda, I'll get some graphics. Let's, you know, give me a ride to the races type of thing. But I think he's one of those guys who maybe Arena Cross might be the place for him because he's kind of already made a go at the Supercross, got a couple of rides. I don't think people are going to look at him. He's pretty inconsistent, you know, to to be their guy on their team. So, But maybe a cross-line type of position is good, where I'm sure he's not getting a salary in this and that, but just giving him a ride to the races so he can race his dirt bike and, you know, make a go of it and keep going. I would honestly be surprised if Jimmy Albertson himself is getting a salary. I have very, I'd like... Very uh, suspicious that uh, he's dealing with mostly uh, sponsorship money. He's a fly racing uh, athlete. He's the toll team is sponsored by Tech One Designs, one of the sponsors that do our show. They do uh, from graphics to the pit shirts and custom everything like that. But uh, I don't think he's pulling a salary, and definitely not uh, Kyle Regal. But uh, Regal could be able to develop a bit of a, a niche where it becomes that arena cross guy because i know he's been able to show a wheel to a tyler bowers throughout the arena cross series and bowers makes a pretty good living over there i don't think he has too many uh aspirations to go race outdoors uh go kill himself for 40 minutes uh during the summer and in the in the uh the arena cross series he's totally fine with being the big dog over there and uh, not having to deal with the Ryan Villapotos, Justin Barshas, and Jason Andersons of the world. Go there, be a star, win, I think this is his fourth one straight, uh, creeping up on some uh, championship records of uh, guys like Buddy Antonez, of course not the, the total wins because Antonez raced four mains or I think it was, yeah, eight, four mains per weekend, so it was a whole lot more, but 
nevertheless, uh, I think Regal has, um, he's out of Grand Prairie, Texas, and he's made uh, some pretty good strides to finish out the Supercross series with a little bit of success. For sure, but I think Bowers is a way better rider when it comes down to it. I think he does have a more solid program. Oh, for sure. Like with Jimmy, he has the money to do it. Because I'm sure he's pulling six figures easy being a arena cost champ, which is way more than, you know, under the top five guys, eight, ten, whatever type of thing in the 450s, and pretty much under the top pro or factory back 250 guys are making. So, but Bowers can still come in, and he won a light supercross last year, collect some cash, and mm-hmm. yeah, go home and chill out for the summer. I think that's a smart idea. Keep uh, keep your career going for longevity, and if he just races arena cross his whole career, I'm sure he can do this a long, long time. And we all know winning is fun, and I'm sure he has a solid chance he's going to be the favorite going into arena cross for probably many, many years to come. Excellent. Yeah, I totally agree. And uh, unfortunately, not a great night for the Seven Deuce Deuce. Had himself a brutal evening. Um, barely even noticed him on the on the the ticker or on the track. Uh, he wasn't visible. Um, I guess due to that, neither of us can really comment too much on uh, Adam Entiknap's evening. But uh, nevertheless, disappointing to see the uh, the Seven Twenty Two not enjoy any success. Maybe it was Quiznos, maybe it was Cheese, or uh, maybe he's hanging out with Bogle and trying to kick out some sick beats and put out an album. Fair enough. I I, I would. Um, I'm. I'm. Like I said I don't know too much about uh, his scenario or what. Uh, what he had going on for the evening, but uh, I do like uh, like mentioning the uh, the youngster and uh, he's. He's got decent style on the bike. He's an infectious character that uh, I like to see do well, but uh, had himself a, a like, uh, for lack of a better word, shitty night. And uh, moving into Seattle, uh, hopefully it's a long, long trek for uh, for that crew. Hopefully there's a couple of other uh, privateers that they can make a bit of a convoy and head up from uh, Houston all the way to Seattle. That's going to be a lot of driving this week. For sure, but that's what these guys love to do. Hit up some tracks. I'm sure there's some good tracks going up to Oklahoma and stuff. So mm. hit up some red dirt on the way and, you know, get ready for next weekend. Right on. 50-50 chance of rain in Seattle. Uh, what are your thoughts moving into uh, the, uh, the, the the state, like uh, Seattle? Who knows? I wouldn't mind seeing a nasty-ass mud race. I mean, they are kind of boring when they happen, but... Yeah, at least they, I don't they, have to ride it. No, they do change some stuff up, but I think we're going to see RV clinching the championship in his home race and just kind of playing off the crowd and with and this weekend. I think we're going to see him go out there and put on a show. And the 250 class is kind of figuring itself out, so who knows what we'll see there. But, uh, yeah, I guess uh, we'll just have to see on Saturday. Absolutely, you know, I think uh, I honestly, like yourself, wouldn't mind seeing a mud race. Uh, they're a little bit different, uh, obviously. Um, sometimes you see some guys shine that normally uh, wouldn't have as much success, and uh, that's all. That's always a good thing to see. But uh, nevertheless, I think um, the series has now rebalanced itself out with uh, the number one machine up front and with uh, both red plate um, 
guy, both guys who were running the red plate ended up taking the victories. And uh, we'll look for more from the same from Seattle. No, for sure. I can't see why anything would change. Yeah. I think Seaman might be a little bit pissed and go in there with a little bit more fire under him. but Or maybe system rear breaks and might see him at the front. Yeah, you betcha. So uh, that there have it. That's the that's the wrap up from Houston Supercross 2014. Uh, I just want to thank X Brand Goggles, Two Zero Four Skate Shop, Tech One Designs, Westside Honda, Capital Motorsports, and Trans Canada Motorsports of uh, of Brandon Manitoba for sponsoring these podcasts and uh, all that we're doing. And uh, yeah, going forward, uh, looking forward to uh, more Supercross action. This is uh, Brad Gebhardt and Chris Mellon signing off for the uh, the wrap up show. And uh, yeah, see you later, bud. Adios, amigo. Thank you for listening to the Big MX Podcast, brought to you by X Brand Goggles. Be sure to check out our archive for episodes you may have missed. Check out our website at BigMXRadio.com for more content.